It was hard to look at an alpha politician like Chris Christie hovering behind Donald Trump. It's abysmal. Abysmal describes Christie's expression as in a hostage video mocked social media. Governor Christie, blink twice if you're in trouble. Dear God, what have I done? Endorsing Trump tweeted The Daily Show. Chris Christie looks like a guy who suddenly isn't sure if he turned the stove off before he left for work. This was not your typical hostage crisis. Chris Christie, at a press conference in March announcing his support for Donald Trump, captured on camera looking a little uncomfortable as Trump gave his remarks. It came as something of a surprise that the New Jersey governor would endorse Trump at all. Sure, Christie had described him as a friend and said they talked on occasion, even during the primary. But Christie was also highly respected among Republican leaders. A former chairman of the Republican Governors Association, once thought to be among the brightest rising stars in the party. Now, as he backed Trump literally and figuratively, Republican leaders saw Christie as less of a rising star and more of a pariah, giving Trump the GOP's worst nightmare a shot of credibility when he most needed it. Some Republicans speculated that Christie was merely hoping to stay in the news after having ended his own campaign. And it was true that at this press conference, Christie looked like he would rather be anywhere else. Amidst a flood of speculation and Twitter jokes, Christie responded a few days later to assure people he was just fine. I don't know what I was supposed to be doing. I, sat, I was standing there listening to him. And, and, you know, all these, like, you know, armchair psychiatrists, like, should give it a break. So, no, I wasn't being held hostage. No, I wasn't sitting up there thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? I was sitting up there, standing up there, supporting the person who I believe is the best person to be Hillary Clinton of the remaining Republican candidates, and it's why I endorsed them. But I want everybody to know, um, for those who were concerned, I wasn't being held hostage. I wasn't upset. I wasn't angry. I wasn't despondent. I wasn't anything other than happy that we had done as well as we had done that night and listening to someone give a press conference in front of the National Press Corps. I don't think that's the appropriate time for smiling, cheering, and clapping. A ringing endorsement, indeed. This is Trailhead, a podcast by Real Clear Politics. I'm Rebecca Berg, and in this series, we're exploring some of the quirky markers on the path to the nominating conventions through some of the standout moments in this year's primary process. We haven't seen much of Chris Christie on the campaign trail since that fateful press conference, but that might be more of a reflection of how Trump uses campaign surrogates. That is to say, not in the typical way. If Trump's campaign were a movie, he would be the director, the lead actor, and all of the supporting actors, too. His surrogates, the extras in this extended metaphor, were not elected officials and were only loosely linked to the campaign. For the other campaigns, however, these character witnesses are a vital component of introducing a candidate and his message to a broader audience. You don't know what you think of this Jeb Bush guy? Well, how about when you see he's been endorsed by the governor of your state, someone you voted for, and that governor is on Fox News right now talking about how great Jeb Bush is. But as we saw in this primary, a good surrogate can be hard to find. Take Rick Santorum, who decided when he dropped out of the race to throw his support behind Marco Rubio. What do you list as Marco Rubio's top accomplishment that, that made you decide to endorse him? 
Well, I mean, I, I would just say that there's a guy who's uh, been able to, uh, uh, number one, uh, win, a, win, win a tough election in Florida and, and, and pull people together from a variety of different uh, spots. This is a guy that uh, I think can uh, work together with people. That's the thing that I like about him the most. So, but he's been in the Senate for, for four years. Can you name uh, his, his top, top accomplishment? Here's what I would say about that. I, my, my feeling on Marco is someone who has tremendous potential, tremendous gifts. If you look at being a minority in the United States Senate in a year where nothing got four years, where nothing got done, I guess it's hard to say they're accomplishments. I mean, what you t tell me what happened during that four years that was accomplishment for anybody. I'm not being difficult here. I'm just asking you to name one accomplishment. No, I, I'm that just Marco saying the, the problem is list the one accomplishment, is just one, just one that Marco achieved. Maybe a bill that he wrote. Maybe a, a, a moment in a committee. Right. Like that, Jeb Bush hey. ran Florida. Donald Trump built a company. Marco Rubio finished the sentence. <laughs> yeah. The, okay. Marco Rubio was number one, the Speaker of the Florida House, uh, and which is something that's a minor, minor deal. I mean, he right. was elected by his colleagues to be the Speaker of the House. Right. Number two, yeah, he spent four years in the United States Senate being frustrated like everybody else that nothing got done. Now, let me ask the question one more time. List one accomplishment that Marco Rubio has achieved in four years of the United States Senate. It doesn't even have to be a passed bill. The bottom line is, there, there isn't a whole lot of accomplishments, Joe, and I just don't think it's a yeah. fair question. Here's the thing. Candor does not necessarily make you a great surrogate, particularly if it turns out that you've only grudgingly backed the candidate you're supposed to be promoting. Here's Ben Carson discussing Donald Trump after he endorsed him in March. He has some major defects. Uh, there's no question about it, uh, just like the rest of us. But I think he is willing to listen to other people. He may not say that publicly because, you know, there, there is a humility issue there that perhaps could uh, use some polishing. Are there better people? Probably. But one of the things that we have to do is we have to broaden our pool from which we select our leaders. So surrogates can be a risk. A campaign is essentially entrusting its messaging to someone on the outside. But when an unflattering news story breaks or when another candidate attacks you, it helps to have a deep bench of surrogates ready to publicly jump to your defense. And when things are going well, they amplify that message too, on the campaign trail, on cable news, to anyone who will listen. I wanted to get a sense of what taking on this role actually entails, so I called up Congressman Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, who was a first-time campaign surrogate in this primary season. I really didn't get involved in 2012. I supported the nominee, but other than that, didn't get involved during the primary process. You know, I was a new member of Congress, and, and um, your constituency uh, generally is all over the board on who they support, and you, you risk as, a, as an elected official. Uh, when you come down and endorse someone, you risk ostracizing at least a segment of your of your base and, and of your constituency. So in 2012, I didn't feel comfortable enough with any of the candidates to, to quite do that. Uh, this year, after serving in Washington for four years under this administration and five years under this administration and really being uh, dejected, so to speak, as the direction our country was going, I felt like I needed to get behind someone that I felt like um, was so like-minded that somebody that I could get behind and uh, and really help become president of the United States, someone I felt like would, would turn this country around. 
Duncan hosted a number of the Republican presidential candidates over the past few years as speakers at his annual barbecue. But he ultimately decided to support Senator Ted Cruz, someone who has built strong relationships with some of the most conservative members of the House, including Duncan. Uh, yeah, a lot of folks uh, will run under the conservative um, um, title, but they truly don't exhibit conservative uh, voting records and conservative policies when it comes right down to it. Uh, Senator Cruz wasn't one of those guys. He was somebody that's true to his convictions. And so if you're going to go out and talk on behalf of someone else, you really truly need to believe in what you're saying and what they stand for. And with Ted, that was easy. So. Having collaborated with Cruz on Capitol Hill and sharing many of his values, Duncan essentially knew what Cruz stood for going in. But that's not the same as having to talk about it every day at a campaign stop or on cable news. Duncan was not as steeped in Cruz's policy stances as, say, someone who has been working on the campaign nor was he following each major or minor political drama that popped up on the trail from day to day. But that changed as soon as Duncan signed up as a surrogate and hit the road with Cruz and on his behalf in South Carolina. I needed to learn on, on the fly, really, um, what, what candidate Cruz and Senator Cruz uh, was talking about uh, from a day-to-day -day basis. And then we had, during the primary in South Carolina, a lot of accusations were flying from other camps about about Ted and about fake Facebook pages and, and different things. And so, you know, we worked together with the campaign to make sure that we were all on the right message with regard to that because they were all lies and they've been proven to be that. But, you know, during the heat of battle um, with reporters around and with uh, constituents asking questions, we needed to make sure that we were conveying the message that uh, the cruise camp wanted us to convey. One of the unique aspects of Donald Trump's campaign, and there are so many, was that they didn't really keep tabs on their surrogates during the primary or feed them the campaign's messaging on a regular basis. Cruz's campaign was much more traditional and organized in this sense, and they would send along daily updates in addition to meeting with the surrogates in person as they joined the campaign on the trail. So a lot of that was electronic in format, uh, emails uh, in the morning and, and some of that went to my staff who, you know, waded through it and whittled it down to a little more digestible um, uh, amount for me because I was doing other things as well. I just wasn't 100 uh, percent on the cruise camp. I was also you know, in the district uh, being a congressman and and uh, and then I would go to an event and come back. So, you know, if my staff being able to digest some of that down for me was important. But then there were meetings with uh, the cruise camp and with Senator Cruz himself uh, prior to events on his bus. I watched a lot of the inner workings of a presidential campaign, at least a primary campaign, which I thought was fascinating. Um, you know, spending time around him on the bus, listening to their conversations. Governor Perry was on the bus uh, at times and listened to the, the interaction between uh, Senator uh, Cruz and uh, Governor Perry. Um, other surrogates would, uh, would, would come in and out depending on where we were on the campaign. So, uh, a lot of conversation, a lot of listening, a lot of uh, educating and, you know, it was really fascinating at that level. Uh, you know, I'd never been around that before. As it happened, Duncan was observing up close a fascinating time in the story of the Cruz campaign and the presidential primary in general. Marco Rubio was surging back after New Hampshire, and his campaign was trying to bring Cruz down with charges of underhanded, dirty politics. 
When Duncan mentioned the fake Facebook pages a bit earlier, that was actually a pretty crazy story involving another surrogate. The Rubio campaign accused the Cruz camp of making a Facebook page to perpetuate a rumor that Congressman Trey Gowdy would withdraw his endorsement of Rubio. And we still don't really know what happened there. Obviously, most surrogates are not able to focus solely on the presidential campaign. They have their own jobs, their own families, maybe even some hobbies. But a few days before a vote, it is all hands on deck. And in the days leading up to the South Carolina primary, Duncan was living and breathing the Cruz campaign. Yeah, uh, one, one word, busy. I mean, it was busy from early in the morning till late at night uh, there in the last days. And, and uh, because of certain ethics rules, I had to do uh, driving. So, you know, we, we, we weren't riding on a bus. We weren't doing, uh, we could fly. Um, you know, that just wasn't possible. So, um, yeah, I'd have to leave early from some events to get to the next event before everybody else got there. Or I would have to to uh, leave my house or my office early to get to the next venue before the senator got there. So, um, you know, it made for, for long days, but, you know, the energy was there. And, um, you know, I, I welcome the exposure because, uh, you know, honestly, I think out of the South Carolina delegation, I'm probably the least um, well-recognized name. You know, Mark Sanford, former governor, Trey Gowdy's on Fox News every night. Tim Scott's first African-American Republican uh, House member and then senator from the state of South Carolina. Nikki Haley's the governor. Um, you know, Mark Sanford. And, and, and so all those are well-known people. You know, I, I'm like the, the fourth Beatle, the one that nobody can ever remember his name. But so being out there a little bit and engaging with a, a rock star conservative like Ted Cruz, absolutely benefited me and my uh, and my bona fides as far as um, South Carolina conservatism goes. That's not to say that endorsing Cruz was not without political risk for Duncan, especially with such a competitive Republican field. Although Duncan hails from a relatively safe congressional seat, he still has to be able to defend his decision to his constituents, many of whom were backing other candidates and weren't afraid to tell him so. You know, we got messages on Facebook and text messages and emails and saying, Jeff, I, you know, I hate you're in, in the cruise camp. I'm with such and such. And, you know, this may be the first thing we've ever disagreed on, but uh, I still support you as a congressman and uh, keep keep rocking along. But sure wish you were with my guy, sort of, so to speak. So but then the, the ones that were with Ted Cruz that I ran into on the campaign trail, I mean, they were like. You know, this guy is the real deal. This guy is the guy we need to make president. And I'm so glad you're on the on team cruise and glad to see you up there speaking. And, uh, you know, you're so so the feedback was very positive all across the board. There wasn't any, you know, hate mail. There weren't any, you know, really hate emails or hate uh, Facebook posts or private messages. It really was, you know, hey, um, I wish you were with our guy, but. I understand, and I'm not going to hold it against you type thing. Acting as a surrogate while holding elected office comes with some other complicating factors. Unlike Ben Carson or Rick Santorum, neither of whom had to worry about getting reelected after this was all over, most elected officials would tell you that they don't have the luxury to say whatever they want, especially on behalf of another person's campaign. You know, you have to, as an elected official, you have to temper what you say for someone else and engage how that may affect you personally and in, in future campaigns because like i said there are 
within a constituency, there are supporters of multiple candidates, and you don't want to ostracize one over the other. Put out there why you're supporting the the candidate that you're endorsing and the candidate you're speaking for, and uh, and be very clear on it, and um, and don't get down in the mud with uh, with everything because that's really up to someone else. In uh, Duncan's mind, staying positive is the best running, thing a surrogate for any campaign can do. And he cautions those who would play the role of attack dog as so many surrogates have. You, you shouldn't be the one that gets down into the mud. That, that's, that's really up to the candidate themselves and that's up to the, the campaign team. Um, so if I was going to write the playbook, it would be, you know, maintain a strong positive message about why the person you've endorsed is the best candidate and why um, you think they're going to be uh, the best president, the best, the best leader. Uh, there, there's a there's somebody for everything, and that shouldn't be one of your things. You should be, as far as the mudslinging goes, you should be uh, as a surrogate, very positive, and uh, and put forth a message, and uh, really drive the energy. That's one thing if, that you'll notice about me is as a former auctioneer. And so when I get on stage and I'm doing an introduction, I really try to to amp up the energy that's out there for the candidate. And then there's the one skill that almost every good surrogate needs, the ability to stall for time. Often a surrogate is a warm-up act at campaign events, and if the candidate is running late, you've just got to wing it. Duncan got a good taste of this on election night in South Carolina. The very last event was down in Columbia, and I was uh, charged with introducing Ted, and we had all the national media there had you bloggers you had uh the sticks uh, tv cameras you had radios and everybody was there plus there were probably you know several hundred people in the room there and so we're backstage and um the gentleman former treasurer of south carolina uh, charlie condon was was introducing me and before we went up on stage the uh, campaign manager said uh Look, the bus is running a little bit late. I was supposed to do a one-minute introduction, by the way, so that's what I had prepared, right? He said, the bus is uh, running into some traffic. They're a little bit behind. need you to talk a little longer than a minute. And I kind of give him that that stare, and I said, well, how how much longer than a minute? He said, we will let you know. And I said, okay. So about that time, Charlie says, and now Congressman Jeff Duncan, so I have to go up the stage, and I'm standing out there with all these lights, all the TV cameras, and... I'm talking about Ted Cruz. I'm talking about the battles in Washington, et cetera. And I talk and I talk. And one of the campaign guys comes around the bottom of the stage and looks at me and he spreads his hands apart, like stretch it out longer. So I keep talking and I keep talking. I keep talking. And granted, every national media is in the room. I'm scared about, you know, make a faux pas and say something that's going to be picked up and, and hurt my career, you know, because I only had a one minute speech and here I am going seven, eight, nine minutes, right? And uh, so twice he came out and asked me to stretch it out, stretch it out, stretch it out. And finally, I I was done. I didn't have anything else to say. Um, I wasn't campaigning for president. Um, I wasn't talking about Jeff Duncan. I was talking about America and talking about Ted Cruz and his vision for America. And so finally, I just uh, I, I just preempted him. I said, ladies and gentlemen, y'all put your hands together and uh, welcome the next president of the United States, Ted Cruz. And and he and his family were backstage, you know, getting the ties straight and making sure. So they were back there, but they just weren't quite ready to come out yet. And uh, we sat there and clapped and clapped and clapped, and finally they came out. But um, <laughs> when you have a one when you have a one minute uh, introduction and you have to speak almost ten minutes in front of all the national media, 
it's a little unnerving. But at the end of the day, those 10 awkward minutes on stage, in addition to all of the other hours Duncan and other campaign surrogates put in, are for a greater good, getting their guy elected. Candidates are one person. They can't be everywhere. And states like South Carolina are small, but there are a lot of corners in that small state that the candidate can get to and surrogates can can on their behalf. And, and that's important to educate the voters, bring campaign materials, you know, coordinate with campaign for signs, uh, work with the volunteers, energize them, keep their level of energy up. Uh, the candidate can't can't be all places at all times. And so that's just the, the nature of it. And uh, having campaigned myself in 11 counties, I know I can't be everywhere. We count on people to be our voice. We count on people to work with our volunteers and and uh, to be, you know, the candidate themselves at times. And so that's important. Behind the scenes, there are dozens of other people who support the candidate and his surrogates and make the trains run on time. And we'll take a look at them next time on Trailhead.